Welcome to the Barely Saved Podcast, where we have the discussions real Christians don't have. Here's your hosts. What we've got today is sort of a special bonus edition of the podcast. This is a conversation that took place in the middle of the recording of the last podcast, a conversation that took place mostly between myself, Matt, and Lindsay, sort of in the middle of the last section of the last podcast as we were doing our recap of 2020. And rather than throw this little bit of conversation away, we are releasing it as a bonus segment. And so some transition music will play, and then a part of the conversation, and then some more transition music when we come back to the same topic after we talked about some other things. So we've sort of segmented all of this topic of conversation into one thing, and are setting it off on its own. We will be addressing this topic more thoroughly in future podcasts, uh, because the topic of how to interpret the Bible is super important, and so we don't want to shortchange and say that what we've talked about today is the only or even the primary principles for biblical interpretation. Something that I've been saying for a few years is that when we're reading the Bible and it disagrees with us, our job is not to disagree with the text, but to change our life to conform with the biblical vision. And so when we read the scripture and it challenges us to love our neighbors, we're not supposed to figure out how we can hate them or love our enemies. We're not supposed to figure out how we can justify still being angry and upset and bitter. Our job is to conform to what the Bible says. I don't like that job. That job's hard. A lot of what I've seen this year is people speaking the Bible, and rather than people who call themselves Christians listening and saying, ah, oh, that's what God's Word says, so I need to do that, they say, that's not what I believe God's Word says. And rather than change themselves, they're committed to changing what God's Word is to fit what they want. And that's dangerous. I think that there are times where we have to wrestle with God's Word like that, because Absolutely. And I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm I want to push back and and refine it, I guess, because there's times where like a plain reading of God's word says one thing, uh which is why I don't think we should go to the I don't, I don't think that uh scripture interpret scripture is sometimes the best way to to make that statement. Um simply because sometimes scripture is not clear, and when we think it's clear, it's not clear. I just feel like we're misusing plain reading. Right. Because as I, I have an English degree, right? Like that's what I studied. The plain reading is what the author intended it to mean and not whatever nonsense you're making up about it. Right. It's like, what was it intended to mean? That's what it means. Right. And so we use plain reading as incorrectly. As an excuse to stop this conversation. Correct. Well, it's, it's what who means it to mean. The author. Though I think that that matters because I don't think that it's just authorial intent that matters. I think it's what the Holy Spirit superintended it to mean. And I think that matters. Like when you go and you look at the prophets. Well, he's the author though, right? <sighs> yes. But it's not necessarily what Isaiah meant when he prophesied Isaiah. It's what God intended it to mean and what God later revealed. See, I hear what you're saying, but I also agree with, uh, with Fee and Stewart that the text can't mean what it never meant. Mm, I think that it can mean what it never meant. 
I think, you know, Isaiah is a great example because he's obviously talking about a Messiah and it's like when he's talking about Messiah figures, yeah, yeah, Isaiah maybe didn't have a full understanding of what Messiah would look like, but it's absolutely about Messiah, right? And so, so I think like within that lens, we can say that Isaiah was still talking about Jesus, even though he didn't have a full understanding of what that Messiah looked like in the same way. I don't feel like that's messing with authorial intent because he's like, this is what it's going to look like when God fixes things. Sure. but. Sure, but I, I also I don't think that that is. Uh... Go ahead, Caleb. I don't think that it meant a a literal virgin at any point before Mary conceived. I don't think that people were looking for that. I don't think they were thinking that. We don't have any evidence of people saying that that's what it was going to be. But then once it happened, they looked back and said, "Ah, that's what the scriptures said." But it it didn't mean that before. So in that sense, it did mean what it never meant. Go ahead, Lindsay. Well, I know one of the interpretations of that passage, and especially in Isaiah, is talking about, you know, the timing of the judgment. And it's like, this before this woman who was not currently pregnant and is currently a virgin, like, she could, like, there's going to be, like, it's talking about, like, the oncoming, like, impending nature of the disaster, right? And so it's, like, not necessarily going for virgin birth, like, we're talking about with uh, the later, like, with the Christmas story, right? But... So did we finish talking about the text never meaning what or meaning what it never meant? So I know because I think that you're wrong. And uh, and here's why. All right. I'm listening. Because it didn't mean that to them. Like at some point, even when Matthew was writing that that text did mean virgin to him. Right. Like if even it was illumination through the Holy Spirit, like that's what it meant to him. And I think we we enter a dangerous world when we ascribe things to the text that they don't mean. Yeah, I 100% agree. And so I think that authorial intent has to be our guiding. It may not have been theirs always. We do see a little bit of a strange hermeneutic uh, that Matthew uses, although it can be explained as well. Um, I think it can take on new layers of meaning. I, I think it can never mean something contradictory to what it meant before. I think that if you have an interpretation of a scripture that in some way is going to make you hate your enemies, like you're reading it wrong. Um, like, I, I think that it's never going to contradict. But I and I would say that if it like we have a long history of biblical interpretation now that if you're reading something that didn't occur to the church fathers or hasn't occurred to anybody in the last 2000 years, but you have some new interpretation then that's scary i think we can see like with like we're talking about especially like old testament prophecy and then fulfillment in jesus when it's obvious especially with old testament prophecies that are reference functioning on multiple levels right like it has to at least mean what it meant to the original author right with isaiah and messiah and all the virgin stuff but then we see how then matthew looks at he's like oh man this wasn't just this one thing right but it's so it meant what it meant to Isaiah, but also then Matthew sees what it meant to Isaiah and sees how that meaning then applies to his current circumstances, which is why I'm saying I still think that original authorial intent is what is playing is because it's that original authorial, authorial intent that Matthew is then using to interpret in his context. He's like, oh man, this worked here and here's how this is functioning here. But that new interpretation is based off the previous understanding of it. Right. So, And to be fair, the virgin birth is not required in Matthew's uh, reinterpretation of the text. Right. Like it could be young woman. 
in both. Now, I don't think that Matthew is interpreting it as young woman. I think he's interpreting it as virgin from the Septuagint. But it is not required uh, in Matthew's rereading for it to be virgin. That that is very convoluted, and I'm sure someone will scream heresy at me. Um, but I, I hope that I've attempted to make it clear. Heresy? There, I screamed it at you. Um, <laughs> no, I, I I I think that you're right there. Um, so yeah, we can have additional layers of meaning, but those layers of meaning are built upon the the primary authorial intent. I I think that we can't. I think we can never throw out authorial intent. But see, I don't I don't think that you can call. I don't think that you can call application meaning. I think that that's where I would differ from what Lindsay's saying. I think it's like when we see things that are clearly talking about a certain moment in time, like the fall of the temple. Right. And then we're like, Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or like is, or this is going to be possibly poking a bear. Right. But when we t- when Jesus is talking about the actual destruction of the temple and you're like, is he talking just about one thing like we in time any any end times prophecy right we're like this could be jerusalem which happens and it is jerusalem but also we then depending on your hermeneutic <laughs> talk about it as a later occurrence as well understood through the lens of the destruction of the temple for sure and i think that that uh it still is an argument about authorial intent i was trying to bridge our argument to caleb's saying he can use it differently right i i think that scriptures have an allegorical meaning and i know that's gonna make some people get all twisted up in a knot that's okay my my origin senses are tingling (laughs) they should be um (laughs) but i think that scriptures have an allegorical meaning and sometimes the application of the allegorical meaning would have never occurred to the original audience but they would have understood that as scripture that it will apply in different circumstances. So in that sense, I I don't, but I don't think that that's allegorical meaning. Like I, I understand what you're saying, but I disagree. Yeah. See, that's, that's, yeah, I see that's not allegory. I think it is. I, okay. So when Jesus talks about, I think when Jesus talks about the destruction of the temple, right. In Matthew 24, right. Okay. Do you want to make the baseline for everyone listening? It's destruction of the temple that he's in. Right. But I think it's also the temples that we construct later on. When we construct a temple, when we construct a system to worship God that's not ordained by him, it too will be destroyed. I don't think that's, I wouldn't call that allegory. That's not an Even if it is allegory, I don't think that's his intention. And so, uh, and, and further, I'll, I'll push back farther and say that he doesn't destroy those. He intentionally doesn't. Like that's, for you to destroy like you have to destroy that golden calf that's not something god does in those instances uh that that calf has to get thrown into the fire and refined and thrown into the water and get drank um to extend the metaphor but i I don't know i think that sometimes those are destroyed though i don't think it's always a golden calf i think that sometimes we've set up systems of governments and we use those in our worship and then those are destroyed but who are they destroyed by yeah, I think that's, but that's when we get back to Pharaoh hardening his heart versus his heart being hardened, right? We're like, they're destroyed by the Romans because that's who destroyed the temple. So it's, you know, so when America falls and people have worshiped through America. That's just going back to Genesis 1, though. It's going back to we want to be like God. And so he lets. Right. Like you're, but then I don't think that's Jesus's argument. I think that's a broader argument. I think Jesus's argument is that, hey, this temple will fall and 
that uh, in in future days, whatever that means and looks like, there will be destruction that you can't imagine. Um, but I, I don't think that we can simply say, and the reason I push back with um, the temples of our own making is specifically because I do hold to the right slash, this is more Boyd, view of God will just let it happen. Like you want to worship at that temple, go for it. And it'll, it'll lead to your destruction, your destruction, not the temple's destruction, your destruction. And I think that's the difference. Um, yeah. Cause the, the point, yeah. Cause yeah. Cause it's like, it's not that guidance is coming in vengefully destroying things. He's like, I told you not to do this. If you're going to try to be like God, you do not have the power to hold back the chaos. I think you have to tie that, that temple destruction narrative directly into Jesus weeping over the city. That's where I was listening to it. I listened to, no, I read uh, Jeremiah Wright's uh, 2003 sermon where he said, God damn America, um, that everyone, and uh, someone posted it in U40 or Thunderdome, and I read it, and he was the one who was talking about the Roman soldiers in the city as Pilate was doing those things. Yeah, great sermon. And, and oh, it is such a good – now, again, his – once he gets to the end and starts going a little anti-America on some things without good facts behind some of the things he's saying, I get a little like, eh, maybe, maybe not. But for the most part, it's a very solid sermon and everyone should go read it. Well, it's like – because it makes sense with what we're saying like with – similarly like Barabbas, right? He's claiming to be the son of the father, right? Like he's claiming that he is their messiah. Right. And Jesus is like, man, if you keep doing things like this, if this is who you're looking for your Messiah to be, of course, your city is going to be destroyed. Right. Like if you do what you're doing, it will end in destruction. Right. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with the destruction piece, Caleb. I disagree with the idea that Jesus will God will destroy those temples that we have. I think that that's something of our own doing. It's like, is it passive agency or active? Like, sure, it, it is a thing of our doing. Um, like I'm, I'm not saying that it isn't a thing of our doing. That's that's not, that's not even the thing that I was trying to talk about. So yes, it is a thing of our doing. Um, just like it was when Jesus was talking, like it wasn't God that destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, in in that sense either. When you go back and read Matthew, correct. It's this temple will be destroyed. So my language might have been imprecise. The temple will be destroyed, and I think that there's other temples that will be destroyed, and so. When Jesus was saying that, did he mean for it to be taken as an allegory? I think so. But at the same time, it it wasn't then intended to apply necessarily in the author's mind to a specific instance. Matthew didn't mean that this is going to be America in 2000 years. I'll agree with that. I also think that, but, but to, to, to go back the, we're not getting that just from Jesus' statement. That's a theme throughout all of scripture. It is. But if we say that it's only authorial intent, then it ties us to a very narrow historical perspective to understand significance. And I think that's problematic. I think it's still there, though, because if you look at it, we see that they have an understanding of every time we try to be like God, it ends up in chaos and we harden our hearts and bring about our own destruction. Well, they should have had that understanding. Uh, you know, but when they're when they're writing that, like the prophet saying that, right, is linking themselves into that larger narrative, right? Matthew saying it is linking himself into the larger narrative. So I would say that that is part of the authorial intent because they're using it's the it's the they saw it was good for eating and they took it, right? It, you see that again in the law and the commandment. Anytime they do something bad, they're like, you see this woman and she's beautiful, and you take her, you're like, well, that's the language for the apple. This is a criticism. 
right, right. I, th- I think that it is authorial intent, but I don't think that's the way that most people understand authorial intent. Because they don't know how to read. And I will say that authorial intent is not the only way to read. Like, let me let me push back and I will say something heretical that sometimes reader response is an appropriate thing to do. I just don't think it's an appropriate hermeneutic for the text. Yeah, it's like, yeah, Jeremiah 29, 11 being good on that rabbit trail, right? Or it's like, sometimes it really is helpful to be like, you know what, when things suck, I do remember that God is in control. Like, when I submit, like... Yeah. That's not I'm going to preach a sermon necessarily from that, but in a moment of crisis, that is a beneficial reminder to me. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that we do uh, our congregations a disservice when we say simply, like, well, this wasn't meant for you. Of course it wasn't. But... It, and it's not even a promise to you. Like, I'm going to be really clear. This isn't a promise to you. But it reveals the character of God, and therefore we can read into it a little bit. And I don't think we can do that too much, maybe. But if if what we're reading into the text does have basis in the totality of Scripture, I think we can take comfort in that. Thanks for listening to the Barely Saved Podcast. Make sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes, links, and show notes at barelysavepodcast.com.